0: where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I know I say this on almost every Tuesday interview episode, but I'm looking forward to you learning from my guest today. I have received several questions from listeners around NFTs and crypto and how fraud focuses in there and if it does and if so, what fraud issues do these companies have and if you know, your company is considering adding NFTs to your business products or your business lines, what are things that you have to consider from a fraud perspective? Well, my guest today is here to help us understand a lot more about that. I got to catch up with my friend Matt Vega, who has been on this podcast twice before, but quite a while ago. I think it was earlier last year. So I believe he was on episode 16 when he was at Instacart. And then again on episode 21 with Will Makeson, who ended up actually selling his startup bouncer to Stripe. So congratulations to Will. Way overdue because it's several months ago. But so if you want to learn a lot more about Matt and his earlier career, you certainly can start there. But just a very quick intro. He actually got his start in a unique way beyond... Falling into e-commerce fraud for a smaller retailer online early on in his career, he then joined the army and was in military intelligence for several years. He specialized in SIGINT, which is signal intelligence, which really was digital investigations. And he worked on a lot of financial fraud cases, primarily for a very well-known three-letter agency within the federal government of the U.S., He's not allowed, so I'm not allowed to say which one, but I'm sure you can narrow it down to a couple. (laughs) And in the last few years, Matt has developed a fraud strategy for a small handful of companies, and he's now at Candy Digital as their head of fraud and risk. And Candy, he's going to explain so much more, but they have entered the NFT space both as a retailer as well as a marketplace, and he has learned a lot of lessons. He's also had to think through a lot of potential fraud issues. So he is several months, I think six months into this. So he has a lot of lessons learned and he shares this on this episode. Just a couple of highlights. He'll talk about the different forms of companies selling NFTs, the difference between a closed and open loop NFT marketplace, and why those things matter. He'll share unique challenges when it comes to fighting fraud and protecting the company and its customer base compared to traditional e-commerce. He had mentioned to me that he really felt like this job has bent his brain a little bit in thinking about fraud just a completely different aspect. And you'll be able to learn a lot about that in this episode. And I think you'll really appreciate it. I know as fraud fighters, we really enjoy hearing what types of fraud other types of companies are facing. And NFTs are just exploding in the market right now. And like I said, I know there are at least a handful that I'm aware of, of traditional retailers considering to add them. And so this is a great opportunity for you to learn what you should be thinking about and talking with your senior leadership with and different strategies around offering NFTs as well as protecting them. And then he also provides several things that companies should consider should they be planning to sell NFTs. So in addition to all that, he'll be saying specifically what he wished he knew and what he's glad he's done and glad he's learned. Most are going to be fraud focused and rightfully so. This podcast is focused on that. But he also provides operational and strategy suggestions as well as the types of fraud technology that will and won't be applicable to the NFT space. So with that, I am going to let you listen on into my conversation with Matt Vega at Candy Digital, and I'll talk to you soon. Well, Matt, thank you so much for stopping by Fraudology again.
1: Thanks, Chris. Always a pleasure.
0: Yeah. So you were on episode 16 and 21 with Will Magson. So episode 16 on your own, episode 21 with Will Magson. Yeah. And at that time, you were at Instacart, a leading fraud strategy, and you were going to take a role for a payment processor. What have you done since? Where are you at now?
1: Right. Yeah. And thanks again for having me back on. It's always fun uh, hanging out with you. The pandemic has been good for some fraud fighters, especially in the strategy space, because it allows us to try to conquer a a million different challenges at the same time. And each company faces new challenges. So I've been very fortunate to be able to help a variety of companies and industries within a variety of spaces, mostly on the technology side of, of the house and fraud strategy, like you have mentioned. And so today I am the head of fraud and risk for Candy digital. We are a best-in-class digital collectible NFT company. So I am actually both the head of fraud and risk and now an investor in the company because I believe in the products and I believe in the company, which I'm I'm happy to get into.
0: That's awesome. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you come back. There are there've been a lot of questions around NFTs especially on the merchant side. There are several well-known brands that are considering adding them to their portfolio, other companies that are on the startups. We see a lot around consumer scams, but not as much talk around what it means for the frog community and CMP transactions, et cetera. And there's some nuances in NFTs. Sure. So that's why I wanted you to stop by. I think a lot of people will be interested. So yeah, gonna, I'm going to start with a softball. Yeah. Uh, can you give a basic high-level definition for NFTs?
1: Yeah. So think of an NFT as really a digital collectible. The best way that we describe it, especially in our business model at launch, we partnered with Major League Baseball. So the best way to think about it is think about a digital baseball card, right? Mm-hmm. Is they are unique. They're one of a kind. They It is not like a digital photograph that's reproduced in, in the masses. They're limited edition. Some of them are one of ones, which means there's only one on the planet that we we will mint. And, and basically they're digital collectibles that you can buy, sell and trade at any time. Some people uh, collect hundreds of NFTs and that's their new baseball. Instead of collecting the physical cards, now they're collecting the digital versions of them. And they're really amazing. We're kind of building out and setting the stage for a lot of uh, a lot more interaction with the NFTs themselves, with putting in metrics within the NFTs, having them three-dimensional. So there is a lot of really amazing things that are happening within the NFT space, but that's really what it is. They're digital collectibles at the end of the day.
0: And they stand for non fungible token, but that's, that's just The I don't know the smarty pants version of the right that doesn't exactly tell you what it is. Right, uh, but the, right, absolutely. That's kind of how I understand it too. Is it's art? Sometimes it's art. Sometimes it's baseball cards. It really varies, but there are a limited number, right. And they're tracked right through that's blockchain. Correct.
1: That's correct. So there's a ledger on all of them. That that's what makes them uh, so unique, and that's that's what makes them a one of one or mm-hmm. having a limited edition is that they're it's all verifiable. So there's no way that someone could create a candy NFT on their own and then try and sell it off as like a real version, right? Mm-hmm. We have ledgers on all of these things. So that's what digital collectibles are.
0: Which. Honestly, is so much better than real life collectibles, not just totally. from like a theft perspective, but for counterfeiting or yep. you know, preventing all of those things for a brand. Absolutely. They're, you're not able to counterfeit them, so they have to go through you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's re- really where the benefit of the NFT space and why there's all this rapid growth is, especially the fact that it's just the the, the concept of a blockchain and these ledgers, right, where there's tens of thousands of confirmations of ownership um, mm-hmm. on these ledgers. It really mitigates a lot of the risks that you would see in traditional physical.
0: Yeah, makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So what you mentioned a little bit about Candy, as far as you have the exclusive partnership with MLB, what type of business is Candy as far as what are they offering in the NFT space? What's the business model?
1: Yeah, so so Candy Digital was was actually started last year by Scott Lawn and Matt Novogartz. They are the two uh, key leaders within the business and they really got together one day and and literally over a glass of wine they were talking about what sports memorabilia could be in the future and, and how collectibles could really like completely change the industry and they said we need to get into this and let, let's come up with something. So they they got some, some key investors and they launched uh, last year and we've had explosive growth. The way that we launched is we originally launched our our traditional, we'll call it a retail environment, right? So it's like more of a traditional e-commerce platform where basically we are creating slash minting the NFTs, limited edition. Customers can go onto our platform on mlb.candy.com and actually purchase those. And those are of course, limited edition, which means when they sell out, they're gone forever. And that's what how, how you maintain value. And then about two and a half weeks ago, we launched our marketplace. And so that is technically like the candy eBay of NFTs. It allows you to buy, sell and trade NFTs to other people within the community. We had our biggest sale happen just a few days ago for $100,000 for one NFT.
0: Talk about like, just because you mentioned this to me earlier, how that was purchased. And then that was just so people know that's not that somebody paid you guys $100,000 for the NFT. That's how much they sold their NFT for on your marketplace.
1: That's correct. So yeah, so we were the, uh, we minted that NFT. So we created that NFT, right? Think of it as we developed it, right? Mm -hmm. Designed and developed it. They bought it from us in a retail setting. They could have bought it, for example, in one of our packs. Like when you were a kid, when you buy a pack of baseball cards, Mm -hmm. you tear it open. Sometimes you get super lucky and you get a really rare card. And so that's what I've seen is that's a a primary way that people are are getting some of the rare NFTs. And and basically what they did is they went on and they sold the NFTs. NFT. They put it in our marketplace and they sold it for a hundred grand. What the way our business model works is we take a percentage from the buyer and seller. It's a small percentage. And basically we facilitate that the ability to safely transact and be able to sell in a trusted marketplace where we have this closed loop ecosystem, which we'll talk about Mm -hmm. um, that really controls the value and and it, it controls the integrity of the marketplace.
0: So that was actually going to be my next question on that is who's assigning the value of the NFTs within the marketplace? Is it the seller or is it candy based on the rarity of the NFT? I was going to say the card, but the digital card.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So the answer is all of the above. So basically it's what the market will pay for it. Like any digital, any collectible, uh, physical or digital, right? So If I might have it, that's worth $5, or it could be worth 5 million, depending on what the the value is to someone else. And that's what NFTs really come down to. And NFTs are assigned a rarity scale. Like think of it almost as like a quality scale on a physical item. It's a Mm -hmm. rarity scale, Mm. right? So there are like ultra rare NFTs, which means that the total production of that NFT is going to be extremely low. So for example, like a one of one. So that means there's only one produced of that NFT. That's it. So you are the only owner in Mm. the world that has that NFT. Those are obviously going to be the gold gold ones, right? Mm -hmm. So it comes down to uh, what the market is willing to pay for it. And that's where you start getting these, this explosive growth where, you have a scenario where someone might buy it for 25,000 and a month later, sell it for, you know, three, 400,000 on other, other marketplace. But and then the also of- the
0: reverse happens too, right? Yeah, totally. People well, you will buy something strategic. for a hundred and won't be able to sell it for 50 cents. <laughs> That's correct. And you you really need to be
1: very careful in how you do it. Luckily, and, and we'll talk about this, that's where Scott, Scott Lawn, our chief executive officer, one of the things that really motivated me to come over to Candy is I was employee around employee number 25. So he brought me on as a head of fraud and risk at employee number 25. That's very, very rare for a startup. It especially is. Right. Usually they don't, they don't start thinking about fraud and risk for very long. Until the millions, they've lost a lot of Lost money. millions. Right. Yeah. Correct. So, Scott, he's, spent the time, energy, and money to make sure that we were creating a, an incredibly trusted brand mm. with the right security controls to make sure we're fully compliant, make sure we're doing it by the books in the eyes of the regulatory bodies. So that is really what we pride ourselves on, is making sure that we're doing it right. We're maintaining a, a, a very clean ecosystem. We're doing everything in our power to keep fraud and risk off the platform. That way, our community can enjoy themselves and have fun and not have to worry about being scammed on the side like you can on other platforms. And so that is really, I would say, the key here with our NFTs is the fact that we have created an ecosystem that is incredibly controlled, safe and secure, that meets all of the regulatory requirements to be uh, on the up and up. And that's really that's one of the reasons why I joined Candy is because that's what Scott wanted to do from the beginning. He said, I'm going to invest early on in fraud and risk. That way we do it right. I don't want to be the NFT company that is getting hit with all these different scams and fraud and people are reproducing on the back.
0: When I'm working with online merchant clients within my consultancy to help them identify the right new fraud technology for their business, it can take a long time once they're in that sales cycle for a prospective fraud provider to actually be implemented. They're going to go through sales calls, demos, security checks, you guys all know the drill. It can take a long time to actually do a proof of concept to determine if their technology will even work for your business, your customers, and with the tech that you already have in place. And That's why the fact that Sion is democratizing fraud fighting at scale is really unique and interesting to me. By offering a free trial, public-facing API references, no installer setup fees, and fully transparent pricing where you only pay for what you need. And you can actually try before you buy their identity verification product. This puts cutting-edge risk tech into the hands of every online business. You can either use their full suite of products or use the modules that you need for the best layered approach. You can get started for free at seon.io forward slash demo or the links in the show notes. Correct. Correct. He
1: goes, we're going to do it right. It's a smart business
0: strategy. I'm sure a lot of the listeners uh, are envious of the position and having a CEO who really values that. Um, I do know that they exist. I actually just heard yeah, from yeah, one totally. yesterday uh, from another business who said, I just want you to know that some of us CEOs like do exist and that we, I listen to your podcast. I was like, that's, that's awesome. amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. It, it's rare, but it, sure. it's good that it happens. So you mentioned it's a closed loop marketplace. What's the difference on the NFT side? I mean, obviously we know the difference between closed loop, open loop credit cards and gift cards and things yep. like that, but what, are the different what are the differences between a closed loop and an open loop market for nft or marketplace for nfts
1: Yeah, so it it would depend on who you ask. ask. And here's why. If you were to ask one of our software engineers, open loop and closed loop have a completely different meaning Mm. than when you're thinking of it from a business standpoint. So we'll we'll, we'll tackle it from the business standpoint because it more applies to to what we're talking about. So from a business standpoint, think of of a a closed loop marketplace would basically be that the NFTs that you purchase either in the retail environment or on our marketplace stay in our marketplace. Mm. You cannot take our NFTs off platform and sell them other places and you cannot take NFTs from other places and sell them on our marketplace. I don't predict that being a long-term strategy. That was to ensure the integrity of our marketplace mm. at launch and mm-hmm. make sure that we have all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted before we open the marketplace into where the, you have this wallet on and off movement and mm-hmm. NFT on and off movement. But that's really the main difference from a, from a strategy standpoint is that movement and that control of NFTs to where if you buy on our marketplace... Right now, because we're closed loop, we can pretty much guarantee that it's an authentic candy digital NFT, mm-hmm. Where if, if it's open loop, right, and there's, there's NFTs moving on and off platform, there's a lot more security and checks that need to go into place. And that's where it buys us time to make sure we build up. And so that way, when we get to a place where if our CEO says, hey, let's, it's time to go open, then we're ready, to, ready for it.
0: Crawl, walk, run. Totally. Absolutely.
1: Yep. And so (laughs) that's the strategy.
0: Speaks to the strategy of putting not just fraud and risk, you know, first in compliance, but also the trust and safety, right? Ensuring that your customers trust you and that they feel safe. Right. Exactly. Almost always transfers to dollars these days, especially in a market that has kind of become synonymous for fraud, mostly on the consumer side, at least since it's public. And that's because I always say fraudsters are the first early adopters of almost anything, sure. yep. uh, whether it's a new you know, payment method or bank or new anything. So ensuring that it's closed loop right now means that there's not a lot of uh, opportunity to take it somewhere else or, or do different things like that.
1: Yeah, and I think the I think the the important call out there is that it really comes from that crypto mindset, right, mm-hmm. in the NFT space. Where you think of it, it's it's like from a money laundering standpoint, it's like a, a every money launderer's dream mm-hmm. to be able to take a bunch of drug money and convert it into NFTs and buy and sell and clean it and then and then wire it off. So obviously, like to do it right, we need to maintain very strict controls, and we have machine learning models, we have incredibly sophisticated processes in order to prevent these things. And that is the difference between our platform. And I would say some of the other platforms in the industry is that we love our regulators. So we we welcome them. If they ever want to come and hang out with us, they're welcome. And that's, that's unique, I think, compared to some of the other in- industries because of the fact that we know we're doing it right. And that's because we care about our community. We care about our customers and we want to make sure that we set everyone up for success, not just the company. Sounds
0: like a good plan. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned crypto and that just begs the question. This is something I've always wondered. Can NFTs only be purchased using crypto?
1: That's a great question, and I, I actually get that question a lot. And the mm-hmm. answer is no. And not only that, but for example, as of today, you cannot use cryptocurrency to buy our NFT. But yeah, we have traditional e-commerce style p- payment rails where you can use credit cards. You can use traditional account funding methods where it's you know account balance to account balance within the ecosystem. But yeah, no traditional. It's uh, we're using Visa, Mastercard, just like anything else. We are moving into accepting certain types of cryptocurrency. Nowadays, you do not have to be a sophisticated customer in order to be in the NFT space. We make it as clean and as simple and as easy as any
0: other e-commerce environment. And that's covered under Visa MasterCard? Like it's not a restricted item or anything. It's just digital goods. That's correct.
1: It's it's, it's, in fact, you're the one that that brought this up the other day is it's -hmm. it's very similar to like selling skins on a video game, right? It's they're they're digital assets. Some card brands will put you under something called a high risk MCC code, as you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's uh, not really a big deal. In some cases, it is a big deal if you want liability shifts with 3DS and some of the Mm -hmm. other strategies that most of us fraud fighters would use. But in in general, no, as long as your chargeback and fraud ratios are good. And, and we can talk about our chargeback and fraud ratios, because I can tell you that we're hundredth of a percent. And when we start getting into our ratios because of this, this basically ecosystem that we built for, you know, thanks to Scott, really putting the time and energy into making it right. So that no, it, it's totally open. Car brands are welcome in as long as you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, years and years ago, I worked just for a short period for an online gaming company. And when you were kind of talking about some of the ways that, and we'll be talking about in a minute, you know, some of the ways that you have to track and and things can be traded very quickly and, and all of that, I thought that sounds very similar to like skins in a video game or other digital gaming content that can be bought and sold. I mean, sometimes they're bought and sold within the game. Other times they're bought and sold outside the game. But so it makes sense that Visa semester. but I think because both NFT and crypto are using blockchain, that's why I just assumed that. Right. And I do know that at least at first when NFTs came out, and I mean, it wasn't that long ago in the grand right. scheme of things, but when they did, I do think that crypto was the only form of payment. So that's probably also why. but I'm that's not. A strategy,
1: totally. I'm no.
0: not an NFT purchaser as of yet. Sure. I know a few fraud fighters that are, I know at least one in Amsterdam that it's like become kind of his fun play money to invest and totally. uh, buy, sell. And sometimes he lucks out and other times he doesn't but it's just kind of something fun to do Uh, and he's cheaper than the stock market
1: (laughs) yeah and and we saw that in the pandemic too right like Mm -hmm. where people ordinary people that weren't investors started investing into stocks we saw the same thing on the nft Mm -hmm. market so Mm -hmm. if you look at nfts when they first launched they were in like the the tens of millions in in revenue. And I think last year was in the hundreds of billions. So, I mean, it's Mm. it's the explosive growth um, in the NFT space. And that's because of the fact that you're right when they first started you you had to be a more technical or educated consumer mm-hmm. and now you can on a weekend use your pull out your visa mastercard and have fun and and buy really cool unique uh, one of a kind digital collectibles and either keep them as an investment or trade them or try and build up your collection or try and sell them for a profit and that's really what the majority of our our customers are doing
0: Really interesting. So from my perspective, I've really seen like two types of fraud targeting NFTs. There's the consumer facing scams and then the fraud and abuse against the company selling them. Then in addition to that, there's the typical fraud we'd see like payment fraud when you're in your traditional e-commerce store. And then all the other risks that come with marketplaces from money laundering to all just all the kinds. Yeah. How would you describe some of the things that you've been thinking about planning for from Candy's perspective?
1: Yeah. So I think the best way to describe uh, fraud in the NFT space, and I think this word would really, or this phrase would describe it would be, it's truly the wild west for Mm -hmm. fraud fighters. So everything that you think you know about fraud goes out the window because it is just such a unique environment. And even when I say like, you know, if I were to hire someone that has extensive experience from like gaming studios where they're selling skins, it's still not the same when you have $100,000 chargebacks, right? It's a little bit different. Or when there's really huge money on the line, where a single account takeover can take down hundreds of thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. with multiple accounts impacted. So that's where it's very Mm. unique. And I think the two biggest challenges that I face as a head of fraud and risk and with my team building out is really, I think, to be totally transparent, it's number one, how do we mitigate our losses if someone tries to file a chargeback? For example, there's in all, uh, marketplaces now we've removed the ability for this to happen, but in all marketplaces there's some of the scams and some of the things that people will do is is price manipulation where they'll try and sell the price at something different than when they originally listed it for, so they change the price at the last second so that way someone potentially buys for hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars more. There's uh, traditional account takeovers. There's friendly fraud. Mm-hmm. So w- this is where it gets really interesting. If I take over your account, right? You have a ten thousand dollar NFT. Okay, I sell that NFT to someone on the marketplace, I wire off to my own account, the fraudster, right? Mm -hmm. I wire off to my account. So it's gone. Wire transfers, as you know better than anyone, it's like as good as cash. Mm -hmm. We can't claw back wire transfers. It's gone, right? Right. So now that that person that we sold it to or that, that I sold it to, they might have sold that same NFT three or four more times. Then you come on the platform and you say, hey, my account was taken over. Like, I didn't authorize this, right? I want my NFT back. Well, who's now the legal owner of that NFT? And- By the way, it might have sold for for hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time we end up catching it. So that's where having the controls and building out Mm -hmm. the machine learning and building out the processes is so incredibly important before you launch for any business out there Mm -hmm. that is thinking about getting into the space, especially like retailers. I've heard of like luxury brands that are looking Mm -hmm. into NFTs. You are going to be in a world of hurt if you don't get it right before you launch. That's the big difference where e-commerce, you can kind of make mistakes as you go. You can kind of like, you might see some little fraud trends. You might take a couple losses. You might cop up and and hire a fraud manager a year into it. NFTs—they're gonna haunt you. Fraudsters
0: are looking at oh, looking yes. for the companies that don't have any fraud of controls, of course, because they know they can do these things. Absolutely. And, uh, so when you were talking about account takeovers the other day, that was what made me think about the digital gaming piece. Right. That, but in that that scenario in digital gaming, they can often provide. The digital, the digital good back onto the account, right? Because right. there isn't just one, they can just duplicate it and add recreate. it back to the account. That's correct. Yeah. Or if you're looking at it from a gift card perspective, which is another example we could use where if somebody hacks in there, what, why am I using the term hack? I, I, really, it drives me <laughs> yeah. crazy, but it's just so translating sure, sure. between consumers and us, but account takeover and and takes a gift card or points balance or yep. whatever. Those things can be reported replenished by the retailer at their discretion. But when there's only one or only several, who does own that? Is it the original owner or is it the person who unintentionally purchased a stolen good? They didn't know it was stolen. So is it like that sounds like a customer service nightmare?
1: That's correct. And so and you hit it right on the money because the, the answer to your question is as all of the above and none of the above, right? That's the problem is it's really at the discretion of the fraud manager and mm. the risk managers and the terms of service, terms of conditions. There's there are so many nuances that we have to go through. In some cases, we might do a partial clawback where we won't claw back that entire transaction chain. Mm. We'll claw back a percentage of it. We have capabilities to be able to push and pull funds from accounts that were stolen. Like if, bef- if we can catch it before it's wired off, we manually review hundred percent of wires. Mm. Period. And the reason for it is that of any NFT company, right? That's the primary bleeding funnel. Is the fact that basically when the the movement of funds off platform is where all the bleeding happens. Mm. If the if the money is still on platform, you can move it around and claw back if you need to. Right. Right. It, it, you mm. can. It's, it's just like it's just like a, a gift card. Is if you have the ability to burn the gift card. Right. Then, right. Then you can you can mitigate your risk. But if it's already gone and you. Used. You're, you can't burn the gift card. It's already been used. Right. So, right. right. So that's that's the best way to kind of think about how that how risk is mitigated in, in these NFT spaces. And that is
0: exactly why you said it needs to be thought of before you open the. Fly totally. Gates. Yep. Because Absolutely. if you're having to try to figure these things out on the fly, nope. that is how angry tweets end up turning into headlines. 100 <laughs> percent correct. Yeah. And it could I mean, be. Something and and very rightfully light. so. Right. Sure. I mean, can we talk about how the consumer should have a very secure password on these things? Absolutely. Of course. But at the end of the day, they're not going to blame themselves. They're going no, of to blame not. you. So that's why it's so important to have an identity process in place and to have various controls in place to know who the person is that's opening the account, that's signing into the account, that all those pieces, because... It's a high stakes poker game for you guys. Correct. These can potentially be high dollars. And if you do receive a chargeback, you're still on an NFT that has already been sold and and is in ownership of other people. You're then out both, right? That's correct. It's similar to a gift card if it's been used.
1: Exactly, it's double jeopardy, right? Where we, if we lose that chargeback dispute, right, and it's a ten thousand dollar chargeback, we are out the ten thousand dollar chargeback, and we still have to make that buyer whole, right? So that transaction on the marketplace but for a ten thousand dollar NFT doesn't go to us; only a small fee goes right. to us, right? But we still have to basically kind of validate, Insure, that right? Exactly. It's, it's it's so it's an interesting problem. The the other issue that that is common, and when I say we, this is this is industry wide, right? Mm. This is not a candy specific right, problem. Right. This is an NFT problem. We and, and we can talk about how we think we got it right and why we think we're in such a good place. And I mean, so, part like,
0: of it, the skeptic in me could say, well, your marketplace is a little open for two and a half weeks. Not
1: the retail environment though. Not the that's a
0: good, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's yeah, a totally. very good point, right? Totally, no, hundred percent.
1: Totally. Yeah, 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 totally. So it's and it's the but again, the key is because the the leadership put the time mm. and money ahead of time so to smart. get it right, yeah. right? Let's get it right before we launch, and that was so critical. But one of the keys that I I really think that especially brands that are thinking about going into the NFT space, how do you fight? Chargeback and, and I would love your opinion as well, uh, Chris. How do you fight a chargeback? And as you know, when I submit a dispute packet, I, if I'm lucky, the analyst that's going to get it is going to spend 30 seconds reviewing it, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm lucky on a good day, the people yeah. say minutes depends on your processor, uh, it, right? Yeah. It depends on the processor, the SLA, how what the volume time is, of day, right? time the of day, full moon, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, how do you an NFT chargeback where there's a good chance that the analyst that could Be in a foreign country has no idea what an NFT is, right? Mm -hmm. And if they do, they think of it as a a digital photograph that can be very easily reproduced. So if it's a $10,000 chargeback and the customer said, Hey, this is fraud, even if it's not, and we say, No, no, like this is a one of a kind asset. They used it, right? Well, there's a good chance that the analyst is going to say, Well, just go create another one. I'm going to give the the customer their money back, right? And you lose them. So chargeback win rates in the NFT space are, are not strong. They're not like physical assets where you can prove that it was delivered, right. you, you have all of this There's tracking. No, address, no, right? yeah. no, no, no. Right. So it makes it very, very challenging. But again, if you do it right, you can mitigate that.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think just to answer the question at a high level, I mean, I always suggest that merchants have an opening two sentences of what they do, no yep. matter totally. what you are. Totally. Even if you are the biggest brand in the world and you think everyone knows because I have worked with and visited chargeback departments for processors and issuers where the analysts have never traveled before, but here they are looking at online travel agency chargebacks and they don't understand the difference between a gate agent and a ticketing agent. And so when the cardholder says, well... I made it to the ticketing agent, but the flight left. Well, they don't realize they still had to go through security and everything else. Like they didn't actually get there. And that's a horrible, let's just kind of an example that came up off the top of my head, but right. they, they don't have the context, right? So if they haven't traveled before, they certainly probably don't know what NFTs are. So that right. would be the first suggestion is just really basic level digital goods. Yep. And then on top of that, especially if they're claiming fraud, you can use the compelling evidence especially for Visa, but it covers for MasterCard too, as far as providing the digital delivery receipt. Providing right. any other information you have on the identity of the person as well as the tracking of the item and just really step by step lay it out. Yeah. Um, but I can see how that is a challenge that you had to think through. And then also you mentioned friendly fraud. And I think I had to add family fraud on there too, because oh, sure totally. there's a lot of younger kids that are using mom's credit oh, card, dad's credit sure. card, and and mom might think. Oh, he bought a baseball card. Well, wait, where is it?
1: So it's funny you say that because think about that, right? Is like Mm -hmm. if we sell an NFT trophy, we had a, a grandmother thinking that they were buying their grandson a physical trophy, right? And so these are things that you have to really think through. And of course, like that's why you have to be so controlled when you launch these marketplaces mm-hmm. and you launch these products because you have to be able to rapidly pivot. You can't and make assume so that energy. people that no. are
0: buying on your website understand absolutely. what an NFT is.
1: Right, absolutely. And we got to the point on fighting chargebacks where I, I kid you not, I got to a point almost as a joke to hire a cartoonist <laughs> to like draw out on our char- chargebacks what an nft is like like the process <laughs> of an nft right because you can say digital asset but it's it is right. but it's not it's right. it's a one-of-a-kind collectible it's as rare as any other art piece that you would want to purchase and that's the hurdle you have to get over
0: right right because if somebody charges it back and then then who owns it right do they still own it or can you claw it can you claw it back if you can, can you claw the nft back if they charge it back
1: yes yeah. So there's there's two techniques that are commonly used. One is number one, if it's still on your platform, absolutely we will we right. claw it back like one we reason why closed yeah. for now. Yeah. Right. So We'd we have a zero to tolerance what, policy. What
0: yeah, what absolutely. issues you're gonna have before opening the phone gates. makes sense.
1: Now, or which you can have some of these other platforms have actually started strategizing on also, is once when it goes off platform, NFTs will usually point to a server, which Mm -hmm. means that there are companies that can technically burn the NFT. And the way that they Mm -hmm. burn it is by usually, like, for example, changing the name of the NFT. So if I take an NFT off platform, for example, I might be able to change the name to fraudulent Right. And then it's going to obviously tank the value. Who's going to buy a fraudulent right. NFT? Right. Yeah. So there's things that people are doing that are very interesting. That stolen. Are so theft. Yeah. Stolen. Theft, mm-hmm. Unauthorized.
0: Right. <laughs> so you so, can't pull it back, but you can at least change the name of it. So that some nobody's going right. to want that. Right. Right. In some cases, usually, though, as long that as that would actually can, be a really awesome power to have, like just in front of right? them. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like so. when I've worked with luxury retailers, like just and somebody used a stolen card to, you know, purchase it and then send sell it on a marketplace to be able to change the names and nobody'd be interested. Right. Yeah. So right. there's some benefits too, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think the key is, is like, remember, like, we also have to have to always balance the, uh, the trust of the marketplace is like really different, right? Because Mm. NFT customers in particular are all about data privacy and trust, right? It's common Mm. in the crypto space. So Mm -hmm. like we will, our goal is to always do right by our customers. Like that Mm. is incredibly important. It's more important in the NFT space than even in the e-commerce space. And Mm. the reason for that is if you start, for example, clawing back from Mm. NFTs that you're not supposed to, you're burning NFTs, right? Like who's going to spend a hundred grand on an NFT that some, some snot nosed kid and a fraud analyst can push a button and burn. Right. So, right. So yeah. So we obviously have completely removed that capability. We, we have a, an incredibly strict control policy and it goes through many checks before anything could ever happen. But the other thing is, is if you have the right models you have the right rule engines and ml models you have the right vendor partners to back you up you'll catch these things far before they're right. off platform right that's that's why doing it right the first time before you launch will save you in the long run.
0: No it makes perfect sense. So I mean I think you've kind of answered this but specifically how different is fighting fraud in traditional e-commerce from NFT companies? I mean you've kind of you've said you've had to change your mind change your thinking right. and all that because it's unique because it can be tracked, but I mean, it also is highly valuable and it's just, yeah, all the things you've already said, but in addition to that.
1: Yeah, I, I, would say, I would say the the best way I could describe it is think about it. If you were a fraud prevention specialist that specialized in Rembrandt art pieces and that your job was to review the actual credit card transaction used to buy rare art. Like that's the best way I could describe it to where like the stakes are very high in the NFT space, mm. especially on high dollar transactions. And remember, these are one of the kind items. We can't reproduce them. People are like, right. oh, if it's stolen, just go create another one. That's not how it works. (laughs) It's like, you may think that's how it works. It's not how it Mm. works. These are one of a kind and that's what makes them rare. If you could keep reproducing them, of course, it's going to kill the rarity, right? It's Mm. going to it's no, the value doesn't exist in an environment where they can be reproduced at will. So when we release a new collection, that's it. Like, we're not going to just start randomly creating them if someone steals them. So we have to maintain strict control. That's an important piece. The other piece, of course, is on the E commerce side is you have very traditional framework to go off of. We have 20 years, as you and I talked about, Chris, years ago, is that like we started back in the day when there was no vendors, there was no machine <laughs> learning, there was no rules <laughs> engines. It was like it, it was you and I on a, on a telephone yep. duct tape, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, trying to figure it out. So And that's kind of how it is in the NFT space because of the fact that it's such a new industry. Mm. You basically are building up the framework as you go, right? You're solving the problem that hasn't been solved before in real time, which is really unique. So that's where having good strategy where you're able to kind of predict what are our future holes are gonna be, where are gonna be our losses and bleeding. Right. And then you put in those safe walls to protect yourself.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was just getting a little sidetracked because I know I've read a few headlines about the board ape NFTs yep, totally. uh, and just how many issues they've had. And a lot of them are ones that you've mentioned here, right? Where people may find an exploit in the marketplace, where they can buy them for much cheaper. I mean, one example I just saw in the headline was a $300,000 NFT that somebody bought for $3,000. So there's definitely, I mean, a lot of issues in there. But So it makes sense why, A, you've been really thoughtful about this and, and really looking at the strategy, not just now, but 10 steps ahead. That's correct. And then... In addition to that, why you started out on closed loop so that you do have some control because it looks like a lot of the issues that are happening here are in a more open loop market.
1: Yeah, you you nailed it on the head. Yeah, exactly. So you look at some of the big uh, competition out there, like OpenSea and some of these big environments where it's just, you have tens of thousands of one cent NFTs that anyone can create, right? And so that creates a level of sophistication and it's like throwing haystacks (laughs) and you're trying to protect a needle and it's really, really challenging in those environments. And so that's where we, even in an open loop quote unquote environment, we still, well, that's where we pride ourselves in maintaining the integrity of the marketplace, right? right? It's incredibly important. And so I think my recommendation to anyone out there that wants to get into the space, the integrity of your marketplace is the name of the game. And that is
0: such a difference from e-commerce, as you mentioned at the beginning, right? Because you and I have both run into leadership who see fraud and risk prevention as an inhibitor to business, as an inhibitor to sales. And we've always tried to say, no, it actually builds trust and customer loyalty with the right customers. But right. you know not everyone listens. But at least in the crypto space, it's flipped on its head where the people who are really interested and just fanatic about crypto and NFT, one of the reasons they are is because of the privacy and the trust. That's right. So it's absolutely important. And I, I just wanna put an exclamation point on that because as fraud professionals, we know that, but it's really challenging to convey that to our business leaders. And I think whenever there's a new product out there, new opportunity for a new business line for businesses, they are looking at the upside and they're wanting zero friction and they're wanting to be able to sell, sell, so sell. Well, when you can't reproduce the items that you're selling, That's you correct. need to be a lot more thoughtful about it.
1: Exactly. I'm loud and clear. Yep. exactly.
0: So on that note, there are a lot of brands that are thinking about it, both publicly and privately. And I know of yep. a few that uh, I don't think, I haven't heard anyone else say that they're looking, so I haven't said a word. I'm sure some of them are listening. But knowing that there are so many of these conversations going on within established businesses that are thinking about business in general, not, and I mean, obviously including fraud and risk and other pieces of abuse and everything else, they're thinking about it in an e-commerce way. If you were advising one of those companies, what are just a few of the things beyond what you've talked about today? What are some of the things you would say are just very important for them to think about and consider?
1: Yeah, I think the one of the mistakes and and this is such this would be an amazing question for our CEO, Scott Lawn, because Mm. this is this is like really his sweet spot. But I I would say for me on the risk side, of course, like we talked about that, that integrity of your business and marketplace. But I I think most importantly, is people get into their head that like, oh, we're going to just start creating like NFT purses and (laughs) like they're going to sell for millions of dollars. And I think that's what can sometimes flood the market and potentially even hurt the Brands value is where you almost have like junk NFTs, right? <laughs> and and you're just producing and mass producing all of these NFTs, hoping you're going to sell tens of thousands and yeah. all of these things. And you know you're doing one of a million, and that is a big problem. I, I would say being very strategic about your NFTs, about your what you're minting, about who your customer base is, mm. right? Because your retail customers are there's a huge portion of retail customers that won't touch NFTs. Yeah, not in a million absolutely. years. Right. So remember that the NFT space tends to be a younger generation. They tend to be a very like tech savvy. Mm -hmm.
0: Totally. Right. Totally. Right. Grew up with a cell phone in their hand. That's correct. Right. That's (laughs) correct.
1: And so. Your strategy and your go to market strategy, and some of the things that you're doing with NFTs in the creation of your business, is going to be completely different because your target audience is going to be different than your e commerce target audience. Mm-hmm. So, or or your brand audience, right? Where you say, like, oh, I'm Chanel and I'm going to create a Chanel purse NFTs. I'm not saying that they're, they're doing, I'm just using right, that as right. an example because I like Chanel. So, they, of course you, you know, do. I love <laughs> Chanel. Yeah. I don't own any of it, but I, I like the brand <laughs> for sure. So, a perfect example with that would be. Is the people that buy a chanel purse are probably not going to be the same people that buy a chanel nft Um, And that's the disconnect.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I have advised not that particular brand, but several others in the luxury space. And especially at those price points, primarily their clientele and their most avid fans are going to be older, more traditional. If they're investing money, it's in the stock market. Right. That's correct. You're absolutely right. That makes perfect sense. That Figuring out who your customer is and who they'd want to do that rather than just rushing to the market would be a good and first step. Yeah. As far as if somebody is a fraud manager for a traditional e-commerce company and somebody in their business comes to them and says, oh, by the way, we're launching NFTs because you know that's how it's going to happen, right? Yeah, totally. It, most of the time, it's not going to be, hey, we're having a strategy meeting about possibly adding NFTs and we'd love to have you involved. Like, yep. that's not really how it works, at least on the e-com side. It sounds like you have it good over there in a different way, but not all Sure, Sure, sure. So, um, and FinTech as well, but I know primarily it's e brands that are looking at right. NFTs. So what are some things that they would need to make sure? I mean, beyond or maybe in addition to... The tech stack or the risk stack that you'd have right. in e-com, is there something special or is there it's a great question? You know, other things that they need to consider.
1: Yeah, it's it's such a good question. So yes is the answer. The basically the way that I would describe it is your traditional fraud prevention stack, your tech stack, right? With uh, traditional e-commerce brands, you have all of the big fraud players in the industry, fraud prevention players in the industry, they will not perform the same in an NFT environment. And far from it. Um, Regardless of what people say, I was going to say um, they're not going to yeah, like that no. answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, I I will say, and I'm not just saying this because it's not true of everyone, but, right. right? Well, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, and I. I just have to say because they are sponsoring the podcast, and I'm not saying it because they're sponsored, but sure. like Cion is one that has worked yeah, totally. with crypto totally. and NFT totally. companies and doing well. But there are definitely a lot of brands that I, I would say that if they say that they can do it, I would ask who they're doing it for Correct. and ask to talk to them or and or find out what people are saying in the market about those those nft brands that are using x fraud provider right that's correct i definitely there's a few that come to mind that like yes i know they use x but i also know that they don't have the best reputation in the market with their customers around trust and and safety and fraud and chargebacks. that's correct yeah.
1: And I think I agree with you. I, I would say that the companies that tend to do best are the companies that have a robust amount of experience on the crypto space. Mm. They, they, mm-hmm. they tend to understand the ecosystem a little bit better and they understand how the, the data points that are actually pull more weight than we would in an e-commerce environment, you know, right? Because there is no FedEx tracking numbers and there is no delivery and there is no physical goods. Right. And, and so these are the things that really you have to look for. And you also want to look at what are the data points that they're collecting in their mm-hmm. APIs, right? Mm-hmm. Are they more e-commerce based? Are they more physical good based? Or are mm-hmm. they more digital asset based? As you said, just like with your sponsor, we don't use them, but they are, they are definitely a, a key player in the industry. And they're very, they're respected in the industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. I would say that, you really want to focus on the brands that are that really have the experience. We use mm-hmm. sardine.ai, that's Soup's brand. It, it's not, I, I would say at the end of the day if you're getting a good partner, uh, a good vendor that really understands the ecosystem, understands the cryptocurrency space and the blockchain space, you're, you're probably 10 steps ahead of a traditional e-commerce brand. There's about five I know of off the top of my head that are really strong and, and mm-hmm. your sponsor being one of them. So mm-hmm. I, I actually am a fan. And I would say the each one's gonna have their benefits and their downside, like in, any business. Absolutely. But yeah, I would it's say-
0: Completely up to- each individual brand to do their own because also what works for one company isn't going to work for everyone else. Correct. But but, I mean, knowing that and knowing what questions to ask and who are you doing this for, or is it just, you're really hoping to get in the space, right? I talked to a solution provider recently who tried to infer to me that they were in the NFT space, but the examples they gave, I was like, that doesn't, it seems like something you could just think up off the top of your head right. as far as what issues NFT and crypto companies are having. And so my spidey senses were going off and I... Yeah, actually conferred with you and and right yeah you know, oh right like, have you yes. heard of yeah yeah um, yes. have you heard of these guys being in this in this space but just because it was like well but not everyone has the option but i would say also i always i mean your linkedin uh link to your linkedin uh profile will be in the show notes for this episode so if anyone wants Please to do. talk to you about specific solutions i would say specifically on the merchant and nft provider space correct not necessarily on the pitching space because you You've actually got a very full risk stack.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, we're, we're good. We have redundancies for redundancies. So we which are good is, on the, <laughs> the stack. Which on is exactly
0: t- the way it obviously needs to be, right? Because right. the stakes are so high. Correct. So on that note, I would love to close out with some of your favorite fraud stories or just maybe hypotheticals that you've run through for this space, because I know Those of us in strategy, we're not just thinking about what's happening now. We're thinking about what's going to happen. And like I said, 5, 10, 12 steps ahead. What are some things that you think people would enjoy learning about or fun to hear? Yeah, I think um I was going to say ear candy but then I was like oh that's so cheesy cuz obviously <laughs> yeah, right. your company is candy. <laughs> <laughs> right no, exactly. <laughs> we exactly. are recording this at the end of the day. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Start <lose> um, <laughs> Yeah,
1: right. I think it, it's a tough question because of the fact that We are really good at, and I don't say that, but I'm with the company, but we're really good at protecting our customers from fraud and from risk. But I I can say that some of the things that we see in the industry that are really interesting are, I I would say the biggest challenge is not necessarily traditional like account takeovers. I would say the biggest challenge is are are someone on the marketplace that on any marketplace that are buying and selling NFTs and then charging back the original transactions. Mm. Because if I buy an Nft for example for 5000 I sell it for 30,000 and I charge back that original 5000 even if I get kicked off the platform, I'm still up. 25 grand, right? right? And I might have used the And you don't have the NFT anymore, right? right? Correct, correct. So, like, those are the real interesting challenges that companies have to really think through before they get into the NFT space. It's not as easy as it sounds. I can tell you, like, on our team, I, I was shocked of how many MIT graduates we have in, in the company. So, from our CEO, is an MIT grad. Mm-hmm. Dr. Matt, he's really, he's our chief experience officer, and he's a PhD from MIT. I mean, like, it's not a couple ecom guys getting together. <laughs> And throwing duct taping things together, like right. it takes of bandwidth, and it takes a lot of know how to really
0: do it right, and a lot of um, server space, which is a whole other. Oh, you know, this yeah. is not an environmental podcast. So I'm not <laughs> totally. going down that totally. road, totally. but that is obviously it is. Yeah, it's intense, right? You're not because you're not intense. just printing something. You're also having to create a tracking system and a ledger, and everything within that ledger to be able to track it. So every NFT has to be able to have the capability to be on the ledger and, and have all of that. So it is very complex. I did notice there are other types of, just like the analogies to the gold rush, right? Like you can make a lot of money selling picks and axes. Yep. There's in addition to cold storage and all of those things, there's also picture frames you can now buy to display your NFT in your house. They're very expensive right now. Oh, yeah, They will go down soon, I'm sure.
1: Sure. Yeah, and there's different, you you
0: know. You know, if you have the money to spend on a $100,000 NFT, you have a baseball card you might have a thousand dollars to buy it. You you probably will have a thousand dollars to buy a picture frame for it. (laughs) That's
1: correct. And I think that like one of the cool things, uh, so Dr. Matt, the gentleman that I spoke with, Mm -hmm. I just spoke about. So like one of the things that he was known for at MIT was like connecting humans to the digital world. And he would create these sophisticated games and challenges to like connect humans into this digital world. And, And so that's one of the we're kind of different, different
0: than like VR.
1: Oh yeah, 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 completely oh. different. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely different. So finding like unique ways to ch- to bring people into a digital world is is mm-hmm. really the best way I could describe it. And that's some of the things that he's working on with our NFTs that are really cool. Where you'll see like batting averages in real time update on the NFTs or. Huh. You can see all sorts of really cool things that they're working on. And it's to make just this amazing interaction between human and digital world. And that's really where we're, I think, setting the stage moving forward for the future of the NFT space.
0: That's really exciting, Matt. One last question, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, is I assume that MLB was the first iteration for Candy, but will there be other, for people who aren't, who may be interested in NFTs, but really aren't into baseball. Yep. are there plans to expand beyond that?
1: Absolutely, we're getting into the sporting industry. There is our CEO is actively engaged into. I was shocked at how many people want to partner with Candy. Oh yeah. Uh, after our successful launch with MLB and some of the other big providers that were that we're getting on, so I would say stay tuned because I think there's going to be a couple big announcements in the near future.
0: That is exciting. Well, Matt Vega, I really appreciate your time and for sharing this information. I have a feeling this is going to be a very popular podcast because this is a topic I have been asked about quite a bit in the last few months. And like I said, I will put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You are very busy, but you are also really great about wanting to help other people in the industry. Absolutely. Uh, You and I are very aligned on that. Totally. Uh, So I really appreciate your time and your friendship. And I'm excited to see the future for you in this space as well as for candy. And it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. And it's always a pleasure, Chris. And I I appreciate as well.
0: Absolutely. Bye.